This episode of the Wolf of All Streets podcast is sponsored by Horizon, the HBAR Foundation, and Whalefin. Please stay tuned for more information on all three of them later in the episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, art, sports, basically anyone with a good story to tell. I think we all know that today's guest has a very good story to tell. This will be the third time that he's had the opportunity to uh, share it on this podcast. Sam Bankman-Fried really needs no introduction. He's the CEO of FTX. And actually, I don't know if you're officially the CEO of Alameda anymore, but you can correct me there. <laughs> I, I am not anymore, but a <laughs> co-founder, I guess. Well, we'll call it the, the co-founder. Obviously, Sam had a very big year from capturing the greatest NFL player of all time to naming an arena in Miami, proposing legislation on Capitol Hill with really awesome shoelaces. So, Sam, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, so, man, this was a uh, big year for crypto, obviously the biggest probably in history. Is there anything that really surprised you in 2021? You know, I think, like, a lot of things surprised me, and I, I think especially like looking at uh, sort of the, the spring, maybe roughly, I think was sort of like my time of greatest surprise. Um, and it wasn't so much like price action related things. I mean, I mean, I, th I think those were, you know, roughly normal-ish other than like going up a lot, but whatever, we've had years before where that's happened. Um, and at some point, there's just a limit to how much like crypto went up this year is really going to shock me. <laughs> um, but I, but I, I think what what sort of caught me the most off guard was exactly how quickly um, uh, regulation became accent like just completely central to the ecosystem. And I mean, you go from like it's hard to even remember. And you're so fucking long crypto, right? Like it, it's like. Of what you remember late 2020 anymore? What was a Bitcoin <laughs> worth? Right? Like I, I'm I'm kind of saying like, oh Jesus, is that like 8k or is it like 40k? Like, I don't know, somewhere in that range, right? But um, I think maybe it went from you know through that range then. But 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 one thing I think if if you sort of rewind to then, like how how much of the conversation around digital assets focused on regulation a year ago would like what was your sense of it? Uh, a very, very little. It was sort of this non-existent boogeyman that a bridge that we would cross when when we had to. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. It's like I, I like hesitate to say it was literally none because it wasn't literally none, but it really was like in sort of the public consciousness, very, very small. And it wasn't just the public consciousness in which it was small. Um, when you looked at regulatory attention, how many? How many censures had there been from any government about any not completely fraudulent cryptocurrency project prior to 2021? I mean, it's like single digits, right? Like, again, whatever, scams are scams, right? But like, the certain, like, it, it was just like on so many dimensions, there was just massively less attention. Um, and, and, and now what's it look like? Like, it's, I don't know, what fraction of the discourse on crypto do you think uh, regulation is today? Over half. Yeah, I think that sounds right. I think it's like the average conversation I have is like probably probably is greater than 50% about regulation. That's a massive fucking change, right? Like in, in one year, we've gone from like 
not quite an afterthought, but like, you know, really not a core piece of the ecosystem to like the single biggest piece by far. And, and it, it wasn't shocking to me that regulation was going to become more central over time. That was, I think, pretty clear. But, but I, I would have said like, yeah, you know, over the next five years, we're going to slowly see, you know, regulation play a, a bigger and bigger role in all aspects of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And, you know, maybe three years from now, it'll be one of the three biggest topics or something. And, and instead, it's like, no, three months from now, it'll be the single biggest topic. It just, right. it happened in a heartbeat. And, you know, I can say that, like, all of the sort of, like, private signals we have are just completely in line with all the public signals. Like, it, you know, like, what fraction of global financial regulators are thinking about crypto at least 10% of their time? I think it's sort of gone up from, like, 0% roughly to, like, 80%. It, it's like, you know, prior to this year, like, no regular ever had interest in talking to us, really, except for, like, people who had specific interfacing. With crypto um and now all of a sudden it's like everyone does like it's like we get like random countries you know reaching out about this constantly and i mean you go on capitol hill right and like you want to talk to congressmen about something what do they want to talk about well same thing everyone else wants to talk about crypto so it's it's just such a massive change that that's permeated everything and i was just i i, I was not expecting that evolution to happen with anything like the rate that it did. I would think that if you're visiting Capitol Hill, they'd all want to talk to you about fundraising and getting reelected. <laughs> but maybe now yeah. crypto becomes you a part so, of that. But, but no, actually, that way more talk about crypto than that. It's, 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 yeah, it's interesting. So I guess we know, obviously, that it's happened. It's very clear. It's in the public eye. I guess the question then becomes... Why? Is this a function of Bitcoin becoming so mainstream that they just have to address it? Or do you think that we had a catalyst like the infrastructure bill, which sort of accidentally brought this to the forefront? You know, it's one sentence in the meant to raise more taxes and it threatens crypto. Everybody right. comes together and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, it froze the infrastructure bill for four days. Biden's largest bill was frozen by a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, what do they call us? What did Elizabeth Warren call us? Uh, shady, shady. You know, super uh, coders, super coders, super yeah. something like that. Um, I think that the 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 uh, infrastructure bill definitely ex accelerated this a little bit, and I think like a lot of people were pretty surprised by how big that became so quickly. But I, I think it was inevitable one way or another, and it wasn't the underlying thing that caused this. It was just a little bit of a trigger. Um, intensity was ramping up really quickly going into that, and continued going out of that. And you know, when I talk with lawmakers about about crypto, they bring up the, the the bill like they're like, oh yeah, what do you think of that bill? That was kind of I, know, I guess that was a big thing or something for the space, right? But 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 it's not actually what they're focusing on the most. Um, that's it's it's not like that's the first thing on their mind. Even when you say talk about crypto, they've all moved way past that. And you know, I, I think that like it really is the uh, the amount. First of all, just the the rise in price, the amount of of, of wealth that was generated. For, for people. And then um, just the amount of attention that the rest of the world was spending on it, right? Like, I don't know, when you went home, like, I'm sure when you went home to your family, if you did for the holidays, almost certainly crypto came up with us because you're fucking in crypto, right? But, but I think if you're not in crypto, and you went home for your families, it still probably came up. You know, it's just like, this is the hottest topic right now, 
full stop. And so I, I think it's just like um, all of that just sort of dovetailed and, and got to a point where it's, it's just sort of what people are thinking about. It's top of mind right now. I wonder when people went home for the holidays, which part of crypto came up though, right? Because oh, yeah, I, at, at the end of 2020, I would have said, you know, we have the Michael Saylor narrative, microstrategy, everything was Bitcoin, institutional adoption. But I would say if you went home, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas 2021, you were probably either talking about how people sold an NFT for $69 million, how you're going to live in the metaverse or which dog coin you're invested in. Yeah, I think that probably sounds right. I mean, I think the, the metaverse manner, by the way, again, completely expect over the next five years that that narrative is going to pick up steam. I was shocked at how much steam it picked up in like seven days. Like Basically. going from, <laughs> right, from like a word no one had heard of to like companies just like, well, yeah, obviously, you know, we're a car company, but like the metaverse is going to, and we're going to be a metaverse car company soon. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure they're going to be a metaverse. I don't even know what a metaverse car company is, but, but all the comp car companies sure, sure, you know, seem like, like they do. And it's just like the, the, the rapidness with which that went from like sort of tangential thing to just like assumed future of the universe was shocking. Yeah, it, it, literally you said it happened, I think, in a week. And all of a sudden you found out apparently that all these companies had these massive plans for the metaverse that had never mentioned them before, which means they're just probably have a good PR agent. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. Like you saw, what was it Long Island block, blockchain? What if the IC back in the day? Right. <laughs> I mean, this is there's a little bit of like this is the sort of 2021 era version of that where I, I think metaverse is sort of a cute words. It means everything and nothing. And like, it's a little bit of Mott and Bay, like you can't pin it down on anything, right? Like someone wants to accuse you of doing something bad because you're into the metaverse. Like what's it? I don't know. Pretty easy to dodge that. It's just like, what do what, what you think metaverse meant, you know? Yeah, I mean, you have these people who believe it's like the fully ready player one, you go live an alternate life. Right. I don't think so. I think it's more of like you play- Certainly not anytime love. soon. Yeah, I think you, you find the game or metaverse that you like and interact with, or we start to get more, I think, sort of VR in our regular lives. You look at a sign, you're wearing your helmet, it tells you the price of those chicken McNuggets that you're salivating over, something like that. Yeah, those both seem totally plausible to me. And I think more generally, like, I don't know exactly what path some of this is, is gonna take. It's probably gonna be winding. and. And I expect that there's going to be a lot of false starts. A lot of people sort of dive in to some aspect of it and then be like, oh boy, that, that turned out people didn't give a shit about that. And then <laughs> take a step back. And then like someone will strike gold in a place no one thought gold even existed. And, and everyone will spend a, a lot of time pouring over it and trying to figure out like, what did what they see, what they see there that, that all of us missed, you know? And it's, it's going to be sort of, you know, stop and start. Do you have any thoughts on what some of those things might be that are coming next? I mean, we obviously, you know, 2020 was like DeFi summer, then this year was NFT summer, then metaverse. There's always something next for crypto. Are there things that you're specifically looking at? Yeah, there are a few things. And I don't want to express confidence that any of these will play out in sure. a very particular way. All of this is me bullshitting. But, you know, if I had to guess, I would guess that like, you know, what, what's our first on the docket? Um, uh, I, I think that like uh, probably NFTs and video games, it's, it's, I think that's a pretty good guess as to where we're, where we're going next. And uh, it's, there's just, I mean, there's obviously there's so much chatter about it. And, and I also think it, it makes sense, which, which, which helps from a narrative perspective when your narrative makes sense. Um, and uh, I think that that they could really enhance video games. And we've just seen every 
publisher, big and small in the world, is at least looking into it right now. Like they, they at least have a team that's looking into what their NFT plan is going to be or metaverse plan, whatever. They all call it something different, but it's it, it it's it's gonna it's not gonna be nothing. Um, and and I think it might be a lot. That being said, I also think that a lot of people, especially in the crypto industry, are thinking about it kind of lazily. And uh, I and I, I I do think that like we're gonna see a lot of false starts because of that. Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Probably how it will proceed. And I think we're just going to see every company try. And I think that most of them will completely fail. It'll probably be an embarrassment in the end. But what I find so interesting is that it's so much in its infancy, right? I mean, if you actually try to interact with Axie Infinity, for example, it's really complicated. Like you have to understand a MetaMask wallet, transferring you to a Ronin wallet, playing this game, which is kind of like 90s Tamagotchi, but people are doing it because they can make money, right? So obviously you have to assume that if you're the maker of a major video game, you realize the power of taking those in-game transactions and bringing them into the real world with real value. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just like, and, and if anything, I think Axie is proof of how powerful this can be because it was, from a lot of perspectives, really coming from a place of weakness, not strength. Like it wasn't, it didn't have adoption before getting involved with crypto um, to, to build off of. It wasn't, I mean, I hope I'm not offending anyone by saying it's not like the most engaging game ever built if you take away the crypto aspect of it. Um, it was like, it was sort of like Crypto Kitties, the video game. I Nobody guess. would play it if they couldn't make money. Right. And, and so you start with that as a base, right? Which is really not, I think, the right place. To, I mean, it's not the most exciting place to start. And you look at AXS, its market cap as of as of now is is, is over six billion circulating, and, and and I think it's just like, wow, like that was, that was like version zero, and and so I think it's if if anything, I think it's just like evidence that is super compelling, but I, I do worry that a lot of people take the wrong thing away from that, which is what if we made Axie but even shittier and much later and not groundbreaking. Wouldn't people love that? I think the answer is no, they wouldn't. Um, you know, it'd be like, be like, ah, oh, 2021, I got a great idea. Let's start a cryptocurrency derivatives exchange without a risk engine that claws back a million dollars a day, right? And it's like, no, nah, that 2015, maybe. 2021 is not, not the time for that, you know? And, and, and so I, I think that like, um, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's like, I mean, on the one hand, like, I think incredibly bullish for the space, what it has accomplished, but I also think it might set the space back a little bit because I think people might take the wrong thing away from it, which is that they had this brilliant idea of like, just fucking going for it with NFTs in a video game. And it was such a powerful idea that even V0 of it did well. But like, I, th- I think that the takeaways is a great idea, not that like, it, that it can't get any better. Yeah, it has to get much better. And you had that sort of epic thread that you recently posted, giving an honest sort of appraisal of where the crypto space is and, and what could be coming. And you said something that I just echoes my own thinking, how sort of laughable it is that anyone believes that any single blockchain right now can operate at mainstream scale, right? If yeah. you have a billion users, we love to talk about speed and, and you know, block size and <laughs> all, transaction speed, but like, 
none of them are even close, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like I mean, it's just like, it's not hard math to do. I think a lot of people just, they just didn't do the math. And they're just like, oh, wow, like scaling, it's here. Thousands of TPS and thousands is a lot better than 10, but it's also not, not enough. And like, you know, we're, we're starting, like, again, you see all of the fastest blockchains have some downtime as they tend to cope with their scaling solution. And they fix it and they get better over time. And it's really exciting. And I think it's what has to happen. And it's incredibly exciting and valuable for the space. But the other context of this is like, well, taking a step back at tens of thousands, that's the cutting edge right now. And that's like hard, possible, but hard to maintain that we're trying to work on as an industry. And we got to get another two orders of magnitude before we're at what scaling really, really means. So it has to be millions. I mean, it I mean, would have to be millions. I think so, right? I mean, it's so like how many, you just look at like tweets per second. You can look at Facebook posts per second, trades per second on the New York Stock Exchange or orders per second, really. Like anything, I mean, you can look at like Visa's network. You can look at, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if Robinhood, which is a really low throughput application as far as they go. I don't think it could exist on a current blockchain. It's in, a, in its entirety. I think it would just blow out whatever chain it tried to be on. And so it's just like, if, if your scale is to even, I mean, FTX, that's an example of a company that doesn't fit on any blockchain right now. If you tried to put FTX entirely on chain, uh, it, it would crop out. No, no, no current chain can contain the, the scale of it. And we're having the biggest crypto exchange. So uh, then how do you get over the hump of, a decentralized platform actually being faster or superior technologically for the user than a decentralized platform. Because I'm, right now, I mean, centralized is way faster, right? Right, right. There are some ways in which that will always be true. Um, there are some ways in which, I mean, look, centralized, there are computational advantages to it. There are a lot of disadvantages, but computationally, right, it's a lot more efficient if you have one validator and it's not geographically distributed, right? Like the, the, the task of merging what 10,000 independent validators think the state of a rapidly changing blockchain is in a decentralized way is like a hard computational problem. Um, and, uh, and like just at a minimum, if you have 10,000 validators, right? Whatever compute it takes to process everything, you got like a, you got a big multiplier there. You know, he got a multiplier of 10,000. And so if nothing else, right, just, just to start, um, you're never going to have, like, it's never going to be the fastest platform um, in a decentralized way. It's never going to be the lowest latency. Um, and I, and that's okay. It doesn't necessarily need to be, but, you know, we should be straightforward that it does have that drawback. And what, what you get for that is decentralization and composability. And, and I think the composability part of this is fucking huge, right? Like Facebook and Twitter, like they're centralized. So they're computationally efficient, but they're not composable in any way with each other, right? Like I, I just don't see Facebook posts because I usually don't log on. My, I'm on Twitter and said, that's, that's a little dumb. It's not like I'm like, ah, oh, fuck people who post on Facebook. I never want to see those. Like, no, it's like, you know, so like there's a lot of potential advantages to putting things on a blockchain, but there are also disadvantages. And like, I think movies are like one thing you can look at 
a, a movie itself is probably never going to live on a decentralized blockchain because it's just an absolutely massive file that just does not fit on a blockchain, not even a little bit. Um, but like a torrenting protocol for movies, some communication network where you decide which nodes you're going to then go download a movie from absolutely could and probably should be on a blockchain. That's a completely natural fit for it. And so I, I think that, that this is identifying the things that gain from, you know, that gain the most from decentralization and that I lose the least uh, from, you know, the, uh, I, from, from the, the computational constraints on all of this. So it's not going to be the underlying technology of everything. Obviously, it does have its, its purposes and it has its shortcomings. Yeah, I think that's basically right. It, it, it's going to be the underlying technology of some things. And maybe many things, and and that's maybe enough. that's enough. And maybe almost everything at least touches blockchain, right? Like maybe almost everything on the communication side is interfacing with a decentralized blockchain network. Eventually, that's totally plausible. It's just like some of the actual data and processing downloading itself is going to have to happen on centralized servers. Yeah, I, I had Kyle Samani on recent, recently, and he echoed the same thing. What he was most excited about moving forward was basically composability and anything sort of in that yeah. space. I mean, composability is really powerful, and it, it it knocks out a lot of nasty network effects, um, and it I it makes it potentially massively easier to innovate. Yeah, because you can you can build on the the layers, of course. But that said, does that mean that we never really I can never say never, but that in the near future we don't get a layer one that can operate at this scale, and so it's going to be up to layer twos and whatever we build on them to make them faster with less latency and cheaper fees. So I have I think somewhat idiosyncratic views on this, um, which I I should flag. Like I, what I'm about to say is not I think what everyone thinks. It's what I think. Um, uh, but when you say layer one versus layer two, I like, I almost want to say like, define that, like, show me what is the difference between a layer one and a layer two exactly? You're not the first person who said that the layer twos are just layer ones that use another platform, right? As the base, but they are layer ones. I mean, they are their own blockchains. That that's right. And they're often making trade-offs between decentralization and speed and like everything else. And and a little bit of an embarrassing thing, this doesn't need to be true, but it is true right now. You look at mostly layer twos and you look at the sense in which the layer twos that they're quote unquote connected to or something like that, some other layer one, that bridge in today's world is almost always centralized. Yeah. It's it's not actually different than the wrappers that you see for layer two, so I, for other layer one. So I think the line between layer two and layer one is actually kind of thin right now. So do you think that that's just... Uh, marketing term, or you think it's just because it simplifies a complicated concept for people to just sort of put them into those two buckets? Uh, so I, I think it partially, I think it's a marketing term, but I, I think a lot of the people who use it believe it and believe that it is the right term to use, Right. which I think says something about it, maybe not being a crazy term to use. Right. And, and, and maybe to, to dig into that a little bit more, like, I think it communicates something about intent. I think it communicates something about how, you know, if you say you have a layer two, you're sort of saying like, morally speaking, we're gonna try and keep this tied to, to, to the layer one. We're gonna like 
be growing sort of out of that ecosystem, whatever that means, like we're, that, that's how we're going to be thinking about this. And, and, and that's, I think, like my biggest takeaway from when people call something a layer two is, is again, they're just like, they're not, they're, they, the builders of the network, are not thinking of it as something that is meant to stand alone. They're thinking of something that is meant to be intimately tied to a particular layer one, and that that's going to lead to a lot of interesting design decisions that you wouldn't need to make, but that like that layer two will make. But when you look at the actual technology, I think it's, it's fairly similar, except when you say layer two, often people use that as a way of like getting around saying like, and also it's not going to be as decentralized. That, that's true. That, that, that makes sense. Well, you talked about the fact that the bridges are almost always centralized. And then you sort yep. of, that's just a bridge from a layer two to a layer one. But we're also, I think one of the narratives of the future will be how we make all of the chains interoperable and build bridges between all of them. There's obviously a number of platforms that are doing it. Do you think that that can be done in a decentralized manner and with appropriate speed? I, I think so. So my, my instinct here is, is yes, it absolutely can. Like that, that's my instinct is, is that is basically say it can not only can it, but like we have some idea how to do this. Like, you know, you can do this with rollups and we have, if not like a, a full framework for it, at least like sort of um, an outline of one. And that there's nothing that, that says it can't scale, but that has to be impractical. That being said, like in practice, uh, it's proven pretty difficult, yeah. I think, for layer twos to, to or, or for, for any chains, really, to have a decentralized bridge. And rollups are, are nasty. Like, I think I underestimated this when I first thought about them. There's, there's a lot of awkward things involved in a, in a rollup where, you know, you have to, uh, you, like, what if there's a fork? on one of the chains. Like all of a sudden you tried to hard code in this logic about how they relate to each other. It turns out it doesn't end up being right. So so anyway, I think it's like in theory doable, but 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 has proven way harder than I thought it would. And, and that's maybe less confident that it will get there. The future of cryptocurrency is a multi-chain world and you can't have a multi-chain world without Horizon who allows these chains to be interoperable. Horizon is the zero knowledge enabled network of blockchains powered by the largest node system larger than either Bitcoin or Ethereum, with scalability and flexibility unmatched by others. Blockchains built on Horizon are enhanced by ZK-SNARK privacy tech and provide massive throughput without compromising decentralization. Horizon can support up to 10,000 independent blockchains running in parallel and issue an unlimited amount of tokens. That's why huge projects that you love, like Celsius, Dash, IOTA, GameStation, Hero Engine, and LTO Network are all building their blockchains with Horizon. Anyone can build on Horizon using their platform Zendu, and Horizon is going to issue their own first token on Zendu this year, Zenny Token. If you're not familiar with all the amazing things that this project is doing, check them out at the wolfofallstreets.link slash horizon. That's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N. Do it now. Everybody in cryptocurrency already knows about Hedera Hashgraph. It's one of the fastest, most secure, and trusted networks on the planet. But what they might not know about is the H-Bar Foundation. With a budget of $2.5 billion 
dollars already. They are funding entrepreneurs and projects that want to build on their blockchain and build within the ecosystem. Absolutely incredible. And they're not only giving them funding, they're actually helping them to develop it and then to get the word out as well. You guys should check out the HBAR Foundation and what Hedera Hashgraph is doing. You can do all of that at thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. That is thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. Do it now. If you're looking for a place to invest in crypto and to trade with and without leverage, earn yield all backed by institutional grade security, then look no further than Whalefin. Whalefin is a new product powered by Amber Group. It combines the institutional grade features of the Amber Pro and the intuitive user interface and features of the Amber app. As we enter the metaverse, individual wealth is being built and managed in totally new ways. Whalefin is an all-in-one digital asset platform serving as the gateway to the metaverse and your secure digital wealth partner. Guys, Wealthing combines the world's best investing technology with valuable investment research. It provides the best prices from 100 plus exchanges and venues, all, as I said, with institutional backing and institutional grade security. If you're looking for more information and the perfect platform for trading and investing, then please go to www.thewolfofallstreets.link slash Whalefin. That's slash W-H-A-L-E-F-N. I and check them out now. Yeah. On one hand, it's like bummer when you really look into it, you say this isn't really working that much. But I think on the other hand, I guess the more half glass, glass half full view is we are still so early on all of this. Every conversation we're having here, it's like we're just scratching yeah. the surface of what's possible, which means that you're not late if you're coming in now. I mean, we really still feels like we're so early. I think that's right. And, and, and I think that's probably is really the biggest takeaway is, is just like we are early. Right. You can't expect it all to work right now, but that actually gives presents quite a bit of opportunity, especially if you're an average person who's just investing. Yeah. But like talking about layer twos and bridges and all this, it's fun when you're in the community to talk about it, be passionate about it. But imagine just being an average person who's never <laughs> interacted with crypto. And you know, you go and like get MetaMask and then you try to send USDC over to the Solana chain and you lose it and it's gone or, you know, I mean, it's yeah, just so it, many problems. It's so complicated, even if you're in the space. Yeah, it really is. It's not, um, uh, and, and, and of course, like there aren't like guidebooks you can trust really on most of this. Like you're, you're left, like just sort of like fending for yourself. Yeah. You go to a YouTube account. It tells you how to send your funds to them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's your instructional video. Like half the companies out there that are supposed to help you like retrieve funds after you're hacked are just hackers. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's gross. I mean, listen, that exists in yeah. any new technological, but it, it is the case. It's very hard to find someone to trust. You talked about earlier, obviously we're talking about the speed required and you sort of touched on how many tweets are sent a second, how many Facebook posts yep. a second. Is decentralized social media going to be one of the big narratives or use cases do you think in the coming years i i think so um i want to flag that i don't particularly get the sense that everyone agrees with me on this um and so i maybe take this with that as a caveat um but i i think it will be like i think it makes a ton of sense and um and and, and almost feel like a little confused if it doesn't happen um uh, because I, I, I basically think at its core that like, it's, it's something that can be put on a blockchain. Like it's not at its core really like computationally impossible. It's something that I think there's real reasons to put on a blockchain. 
Um, and, uh, and it's something where there's a lot of attention and a lot of focus right now on how can we fix social media. So I, I overall am like pretty bullish on that. And what does that look like? I mean, in the future, is it like the, we get a Twitter competitor that's on the blockchain and new social media and people can invest in that or there's a coin related to it? What does that look like for the average person who wants to, I guess, participate or benefit from what that looks like? So what I think, um, what I would be most excited by, and you know, maybe this won't be what happens, but it, it is a world where um, it's basically there's one underlying blockchain protocol for social media for you know, messaging uh, with you know, optional encryption. And lots of social networks can draw from that same protocol. This then makes them composable with each other. And the social networks are basically different user experiences that are sitting on top of the same underlying data feed um, and underlying set of posts. And so it makes them totally interoperable with each other, which I think is like super exciting. Yeah, super exciting. I mean. Obviously, we've had this sort of, just speaking of social media, Jack obviously is not the CEO of Twitter anymore. We've had this huge Web3 debate going on. You know, Jack obviously posted that meme of uh, all the money going into the VC's mouth and the trickle into, into retail. Yep. I know where I stand on it. I'm curious where you stand on that entire debate. So mostly, mostly I think it's sort of a lazy take. Like, I, I think it's, I mean, it's a very popular take, like a lot of people are making it right now, but I, I think it's just sort of like, where did, where did it come from exactly? Like, I think it often in the end, the answer is like, I don't know, it's like not nuanced and it's not understanding the, the differences between different situations. I think there are a lot of cases where like early funding can be really important for a project for getting off the ground where VCs can straddle the line between that and supporters of project helping to foster it. On the other hand, there's a lot of, I don't know if predatory is the right word because it's consensual and it's not misinformed necessarily, but like, I think there are a lot of cases where like, you know, VCs end up getting to invest in a place that just the project shouldn't say yes to. And, and it, it's only saying yes because it sort of feels like, like it should, like there's sort of this sense of like, good people say yes to this. This is how you become a good person. And, and I think that that, to some extent, that's something that has been fostered by those same VCs who who then win from it. You know, I I I I I do think that there's like, I'm I'm sympathetic to like the take that at least some decent fraction of VC activity is like kind of shitty. But I, I definitely don't think it all is. And I know that I, like there are some VCs I'm really regret ever having dealt with, and there are some I'm really grateful having dealt with, even if they, you know, kind of made a lot of money off of us. I mean, you could replace the word probably VC with anything in life and get that same it, sentiment, yeah. you know? And, and I think that to me is why it's such a stupid argument, right? And first of all, it, it ignores the fact, obviously, that your average person just can't invest in these things because of accreditation laws anyways, right? right. VC is really the only place you can go if you want funding. But at the end of the day, also, it seems sort of rational that whoever's early is going to make the money on the investment, but that doesn't take anything away from the benefit that that platform has for your average person, right? Like I, if I'm right. using something and it's benefiting my life, do I care? Like yeah, I love Twitter. I don't care who made money as the early right. investor in Twitter. Uh, I, I I basically agree. And I think like, you know, it's why, yeah, why, why these all have to be dirty words, you know? Um, one thing I will say is, 
I do think there's a worry when when you have a project whose ownership is looks nothing like what's pushing them forward, the incentives get misaligned. And so, you know, we'll sometimes see with a company like VCs will come in and take, not take, purchase 80% of the equity in the first six months. And it's maybe is a good deal for the founders. Like maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, independent of whether or not it was good. Now you're in this situation where sometimes VCs then just drop off the map. And now you're like, well, I guess we're now working and 80% of our work is for the benefit of some randos who no longer have anything to do with this project. Right. And so I, I think that that sort of misalignment is not great and is a real risk if you're not careful. But but yeah, I think overall, it's a lot of lazy thinking. Yeah, I mean, in life, if someone over promises and under delivers, that's problematic. And I think that that's one of the big criticisms. I think the other one then, to, to your point, if they've bought 80% of the company, I think there's concerns as to what influence they have on the future direction of it and whether that aligns with the initial, you know, what was promised by the founders to to the public, maybe, you know, there's this sort of sinister presence behind it. And it's not really what yep. you think it is. So totally agree. And so I think for all those reasons, like it's, you know, I'm somewhat sympathetic to like thinking that in in some non-trivial fraction of cases, it ends up being a pretty shitty relationship. But but that's really different from saying all cases or that like, you know, people should be forced to just not raise anything from anyone because it's unfair that they can't raise from some people, which is, yeah, I think just not like a constructive reaction. Yeah. And he could have literally put any industry on that pipe on his meme and said, it says web three, but it could be literally anything. If you want investment, like I said, you, you get it from VCs because how do you even fix that, right? Even if they fix the accreditation laws and your average person could invest in these things, what average person is going to end up going all in on something that's probably going to zero? The thing that's yeah. being missed here is that nine out of 10 of these things that VCs invest in are literally worthless. It's absolutely right. And like, in so, to some extent, it's like, all right, well, like, did you want to take all this risk? <laughs> like, if so, great, start investing it. Or ideally, you would be able to. But but, but for a lot of people, the answer is like, no, you know, that, that'd be an insane trade for me to make. And it's like, yeah, you're right. So like, you know, maybe it's okay that some other people are, are, are making it. Yeah. I want to circle back to regulation just as far as time frame. Now that it's so been pushed so much to the forefront, as you said, do you think we will get clarity in 2022, at least in the United States, I guess, is what we, we all talk about regulation, but we're all talking about the US, right? Do you think right. that we will actually get some clarity? It's a good question. And I will say briefly that I think it's not crazy that we're talking about the US when we talk about regulation, because a lot of regulators look to the US and look to what happens in the US. And so I think it, it's sort of natural that that's where a lot of this gravitates towards. Um, I think a year is about the time scale on which I think we're going to see um, changes. And, and, and so I think that like, uh, you know, I don't know exactly when, but, but if I had to guess, I would guess, you know, five years from now, we'll definitely have them three months, maybe some trickle, but probably nothing big, you know, a year from now, you know, may, may have a bunch of stuff, maybe a bunch of stuff is not quite ready yet, but he's getting there. Um, and, 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 what is it like? What are the things that I would expect to be coming first here? I think like um, biggest things are probably first of all stablecoin regulation. Yeah. Um, if they go down the straightforward path here of just like 
a framework to ensure they're back the way they say they are. It's just actually pretty simple to implement. And so it's, it's something that just could happen soon. Like it, it's just like, it would take like 20 minutes to draft up a Google block that basically lays out what, what it should be. Now, it, easier said than done, right? But like, in theory, this is not that challenging as far as these things go. Um, so, so if that's the direction it goes in, which is the direction I think it should go in, we may get clarity real soon there. Now, if instead it goes in what I think would be a lot, uh, an unhelpful direction, um, which is trying to substantially restrict who can interface with stable coins, I, I mean, you know, then you might be talking about I, a lot of just sort of hand wringing and fail, you know, failure to make progress because that's, it's hard. Like it's, it, it, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's really prescriptive. I think it's the wrong thing to do. Um, and I think it's something that's just like, is like pretty likely to end up by frustrating people and um, by, yeah, failing to get where people want to go. So I, so, so, so I think in that direction, you know, it might be a year with no progress. I think outside the stablecoin space, the, the asset issuance space, like definitely could really use some work. I, I, I think that will get better, but, but I, I don't necessarily think that's going to be one of the first things to happen because that, that's a nasty one. Like that one, there's like it, it legitimately like, yes, there does need to be some framework for asset issuance, but also it just like, isn't obvious how to think of the right one exactly. And, 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 and it's going to take some tinkering, whatever that, that seems important, but hard, it'll be longer. I think in market side is one where a year is like about the time frame on which I expect to see changes. And, and for that, I think it, it just like, like all you have to say is something like, I don't know, CFTC and or SEC, like you already got some markets regulation. How about you use that on crypto too? Like with like the anti-market manipulation stuff. And, and so something of porting that over, I, I think is something which it's not just like a, like it's a, it's a little bit more complicated. There's like a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but, um, but, but I think either or both regulators would be ready to start making progress on that. Um, uh, basically now, if, if sort of the world aligned for, for that to be, you know, encouraged for them. It's like eliminating spoofing and wash trading and sort of just the really obvious low hanging fruit that's happening maybe, you know, in the, in the space. Exactly. And I think that to be clear, I think that the space is cleaned up a fact a hell of oh, a lot. So much. So it's, much. I mean, you compare this to like a few years ago, you had like Twitter accounts, which were just like tweeting about spoofing, you know, and, and it's just like, like there's sort of like no plausible argument that there wasn't um, a problem. And I, now you look at it and it's like, yeah, you know, like there isn't a lot of oversight, but the markets, it's like not obvious that there's like bad shit going on everywhere. Um, in fact, I think there isn't that much bad shit going on. And so it, it's gotten a lot better, but, but still just like, yeah, the standard anti-fraud, anti-market manipulation oversight, something is going to happen. And um, it's, it's a little bit intricate, but, but there are real frameworks to work off of in a pretty straightforward manner. And so that, that's something that I think like in the next year or so, you know, we will start to see real, uh, real work on. Yeah. I think the re reality is we can't 
use the Howey test or a 1930s framework for right. industry that's, you know, technologically, this technologically advanced and this new. But to your point, that that's going to take years to develop a new framework, decide who oversees it, especially when we're talking about the government, which moves as slow as molasses. So it really is a problem. But to me, that means that, you know, like Hester Peirce has proposed safe harbor a number of times. Why not give a project two or three years to basically innovate and then prove that they're sufficiently decentralized to not be a security? And if not, then you apply the existing framework to them. I, it wouldn't be a crazy thing to do. Um, I think that my instinct, which is 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 maybe a little different from that, is that uh, it's in the end, like right now, security is a bad word. It's like a four letter word, right? In, in, in the US with respect to crypto, you absolutely don't want to be a security. It's basically a death sentence um, in the US. And I, on the other hand, if you kind of take a step back and you ask like, what is a security? I mean, in some sense, you could say it's like something with like real well-defined value that flows through to its holders. Like, like in, in the rest of the world, it's not a bad word. It's often actually a good word, right? You'd want to be in an, an equity. Um, and, and so I think that like, what I would be most excited about, frankly, would be if we could get to a place where I, where rather than focusing on trying to not be a security, the focus is on, great, your security, what now? Um, and, you know, I acknowledge we're not going to get there tomorrow. Um, and that, that there's a lot of intricacies in that, that involves building out a new framework. But, but that, that's what I would be most excited for. That's so true. It'd be nice to hear people talking about the value that they're going to deliver and not how they can avoid <laughs> exactly. being deemed a, deemed a security, basically. Yeah, that's exactly right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, if if that value was well-defined, regulators would be far less aggressive about trying to stop you. Yeah. Right? If it was very clear that you know consumers are protected and they're making money and it's a benefit to everyone, then why come after you? Completely agree. And, and I think that like in the end, I, I, in the end, a lot of people are sort of aligned on wanting there to be real value and not scams. Um, and it's just a manner, it's a matter of, of getting there, of getting a framework that works for that, which yeah, I don't think it's easy, but um, I, I think it's easy to come up with something which is kind of reasonable, but there's a lot of details. Unlike with stable coins where there's just like the details are, so there are easy. a lot fewer details. It's like there's a fucking bank account. With yeah, some dollars I mean, in we, it. we like we all have to tell the government yeah. where our uh, money is, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's, <not that hard>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really not that hard. This is where our money is, right? Uh, largely, yeah. though, I think that that like the the risk is overblown in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I think the risk is overblown, but they should accurately report. Oh, I co I completely agree, and I think that while I do think it's really important that we do start getting accurate and prompt reporting of it. I, I think that like today, it's, you know, I, I think probably none of the big stable coins are like substantially underbacked. I think that like the transparency has a long way to go, but I don't think that that there's something on fire. I just think we're like in a situation where if something did get on fire, there wouldn't necessarily be a regulator on top of it. it right, would, that's true. We left to self-policing with unclear, it would be a mess. Yeah, I can't even imagine the mechanics 
of like a run on the tether bank that would be so bad that they would literally be liquid and not able to cover. But yeah. maybe I don't have a good enough imagination. I mean, uh, well, I, I no, I think I think you have to imagine something very different than was likely true right now, right? Like. Yeah. If they were backed by like 3% of their assets and everything else is gone, like then you got a real problem on your hands, right? That, that, that then like, yeah, there's going to be a fucking run on the bank, right? But, but if the question is like, is, are some of the assets less liquid? It, it's it, it, like that there's questions about disclosure and transparency. Um, but it, it's like much less of like a sort of like obvious systemic risk type thing. Yeah. I agree. So to, to pivot a bit, obviously, FTX, you guys have taken the lead on sort of the mainstream adoption of crypto through advertising and sponsorships and, and endorsements. How much of that is about strictly a business pursuit for you guys, you know, ROI, signups, and how much of that is about just a sort of increasing a general awareness of crypto that will, you know, have a trickle down effect for your business down the road? So it's the, the biggest thing for it is branding, not not direct customer acquisition. Like if you want to do direct customer acquisition, you know, that looks a lot more like Facebook ads. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we've had people say, look, the, the ROI that you're getting on these endorsement deals is, is really bad. Like here's how much we think you're spending, you know, here's the conversions. And, and, and when they do that, I think they're being a little lazy on it. I think they're often under undercounting, but, but even if you put that aside for a second, I think more, more generally, my response is like, yeah, you know, that actually wasn't our main goal with it to get users to date. We're, we're not in a place where everyone knows who we are and we just need to get them to bother signing up, right? We're very much in the opposite place where no one knows who we are, um, or at least that was true as of not too long ago. And we need to start to get our message out there. And that's a big goal of it. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but there's always that sort of, anecdotal advertising, someone needs to see your name seven times or 10 times or 14 times, whatever it is before exactly. they're going to even consider signing up. So for you, I guess, from inception, that's the bigger concern. How, how much do you think you've made progress towards becoming a household name? It's very easy. You know, I'm in the space. And so I see your name everywhere. I feel like it's blanketed. I listen to fantasy sports radio, your ads are on, I drive through Miami, you know, obviously the arena, Tom Brady's talking about it. But for someone who maybe hasn't been in crypto at all, do you think that they've at least heard your name one or two or three times now? Yeah, I think he gets around. Um, I think that like, I mean, I certainly don't think that we've hit saturation or anything, but I think we've, I think we've made a lot of progress on that front and we've been really excited by that. Um, and obviously hoping to continue making progress there. But um, but yeah, I, I do just think that like, it's it's already started to pay real big dividends and you know optimistic that it will continue to do so and you know I, I think my favorite moments are when people are like like hey i just heard about you guys and i gotta say like i don't think that these endorsement deals are really bringing you much value i'm like wait can we rewind the conversation a bit <laughs> to the point where you said you just heard about us because of the endorsement deal that we did yeah i mean that that's totally valid but maybe they didn't sign up so they didn't think that I, <laughs> right <laughs> I, I didn't trade yet so you obviously also because of the laws in the united states you have this differentiation between ftx and ftx U, us how much do you think you'll start to see those products sort of come together as we get maybe more clarity and more direction as to what you can and cannot do i know that you guys are pushing very hard to allow 
for example, futures and leverage trading in the, yep. in the coming year. How realistic is that? I'm optimistic about it. I think it, I mean, it's going to be a lot of conversation with the CFTC. Um, and, you know, it's, I, maybe to give a little more color on that, like, what are the biggest things from the CFTC's perspective here? I think, I mean, in general, there's just checking out a lot of different aspects of it. But there's the core thing of, um, especially post 2008, looking at the risk of clearinghouses. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing here is how do they get comfortable that we are managing risk correctly? And obviously, we're not taking positions in these, but if you have leverage on the contracts, then you have to make sure that, like, at its core, you have to make sure basically that, like, accounts can be closed down before they go beyond bankrupt, that you don't have negative accounts. And that, like, 2008, what happened, like, lots of banks effectively had negative accounts, right, themselves. And, 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 and so that, that sort of is the core piece of this. We spent a lot of time working on our risk model over the years. And, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about really say about, but it's going to be a, you know, deep examination. Um, I, but, you know, to answer the original question, uh, yeah, I, the goal is for us to get, like the goal is to bring as much liquidity and, and activity and, and volume onshore as we can for the crypto industry. And I'm pretty optimistic about that. I think some parts of it are going to take longer than others. I think you know, asset issuance framework is probably going to be one of the lagging pieces. Um, and uh, but but I think that you're going to start to see that convergence over time. Um, and I think it'll be really healthy for the crypto industry if that happens, if like we sure. can move away from this model of like the US is very different from the rest of the world and instead have like equal access to products. And, and along with that products, which have gone through the oversight of US regulators, it's going to take some time, but, but that, that's the direction we're hoping to see things go and, and that I, I feel pretty confident they are going to be going. Yeah, I just think it's ironic that, you know, <laughs> Their, their regulated platforms are equally, if not more, problematic. I mean, it's not like we didn't just watch what happened with GameStop and Robinhood right. and clearing houses. I mean, this is a better way. Like, objectively, there's a better way. And you can point to all the times that Bitcoin has made these huge moves and the risk engines have handled it, I've, right? Like, yeah, we don't need to be I, bailed out. <laughs> right. And if you think about we're sort of playing on hard mode a little bit where we've been assuming we are. FTX, we never, like call you up and like, yo, wire more money. Like we get liquidating time. Your yeah. account's negative, please stop off. Like we assume we have no recourse and that we need to be managing the risk ourselves in real time 24 seven, um, which is very different than how most risk engines work. I think it's safer. I think it, it sort of like helps answer the question of like what stops everything from being so hilariously leveraged and no one has any money anywhere that everything falls over like in 2008 when like they're just these regurgitated swaps that got you know churned again and again and again and again and again with no oversight and the answer is our, our risk engine does we we custody the collateral and we make sure that just with what we can see with our own eyes we can get things done um and don't assume that things will work out outside of us at all and you know yeah we've been through 50 percent downswings 50 percent upswings we've Never had a day where you know insurance fund had to pay out more than our revenue for that day, even. Um, so it's I uh, it, and I mean twenty four seven risk engines help a lot, right? Like let's Friday at three p.m. you get three x leverage as uh, you know same year Cibo Rice contract. Then like at seven p.m. news comes out, 
when can when can that position be reduced? Like Sunday night? Like you got yeah. days of risk out there. It's 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 sort of I don't know, it's sort of scary. Well, that was one of my favorite things that happened recently, obviously on a weekend. Elon Musk tweeted that he was going to, you know, sell a whole, should he, yep. you know, ran the poll, should I sell a whole bunch of Twitter? Obviously on FTX, you're, you can trade effectively tokenized Tesla, right? Yeah. And so you saw that move over the weekend in real time on FTX that nobody could react to who was owned the underlying stock or was trading in the market. Yeah, it's really cool to see. I mean, isn't this a better way? So shouldn't, shouldn't they be putting themselves into your framework as opposed to you trying to fit into theirs? I, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of think so. I mean, that's why we chose our framework, but, but yeah, I mean, I think you like, if you start, start markets again today and you're like, when should markets close down? I think the answer would be like, wait, why'd you say they should close down? Let's, let's start there. Right. Like it's, um, uh, and we put in, okay. So I think there's real arguments for having an hour a day of downtime for people to like roll shit out. We, we, we put work into being able to like roll things out without taking down our matching engine, but like, you know, I, I think if people want to say, yeah, 4 to 5 p.m. each day, everything shuts down for an hour so everyone can take a breath and, like, restart systems and stuff, that, I think that'd be a, a totally reasonable way to think about it. But, like, I don't think anyone would say, like, yeah, 35 hours a week. That sounds about right. Nothing important could happen during the other 100. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I know we're running out of time. I would ask you the most important question of all. How's life in the Bahamas? It's really nice. I mean, <laughs> it's... Um, it's a nice place to be. And it's, I, it's really nice to be at a place with a framework for crypto regulation. It just, it resolves so many of the tensions in the industry right now. That's been a huge benefit. And I can fucking travel. People can visit us. Like we have a lot of people visiting us for the holidays. It's really exciting, you know, and it's been great. I think on a lot of fronts, like it's really, really nice to be in the same place as people to be able to meet people. And I, I don't know the number of countries right now that you can like get into and out of it. I mean, it's not that big. A lot of them kind of can't. And, yeah. and it's just like, it's, it's a, it's a functional place to be at a time where there actually aren't that many in the world. Um, and so we've been really excited about it. So yeah, you're not locked in a hotel room for two weeks as we all remember you nope. like doing national television from your uh, hotel oh, room yeah. when you were quarantined. <laughs> so, yeah, so it seems like a better seems like a better way. Well, where, where can everybody keep up with you and follow you after this conversation? Uh, SBF underscore FTX on Twitter as always. Well, thank you, man, for everything you do and for taking the time for this third round. Inevitably, I think there'll be a fourth in the next couple of months. I'm definitely looking forward to all the things we talked about for 2022 and hopefully getting some leverage trading on FDX US. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Thank you.